Hello and welcome to a unique episode of Adventures in Movies. This is the show where we normally talk about the Indian genre films you've never heard of, the ones you can't hear enough about, and the ones you never want to hear about again. My name is Nathaniel Muir, and I put the ivy in your operation. Joining me on these ongoing adventures is the host who puts the gizmo in Guillermo. I am Danny and Gizmo. That's uh, also oh. Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Danny, you have to watch what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Okay. I have to watch that. Totally. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. I, I did see the vampire meeting like after a movie, and that was really, really fun. <laughs> um, the vampire council? Yeah, the vampire council, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When they have all like like Wesley Snipes in there and stuff. Yeah, which is really <laughs> funny. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> also joining us is the host who puts the creep in creep show. Ooh, that's me, Blake. Creepy to the max. Creep on, creeping on, everybody. <laughs> and just to give everyone a little bit of background, we are part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. They have a whole bunch of horror theme uh, podcasts on there. Plus, they have some great news. Um, they also talk lots of horror. On our show, we've been lucky enough to have, um, we've interviewed Barbara Crampton, Brandon Cronenberg, and Gigi Sal Guerrero. Um, we've also had covered films from Fantasia Film Fest, from Sundance, and uh, from Fantastic Fest. Danny, let them know why you deserve to be on the show. I am an artist. I like, I'm learning a lot of these new movies for the first time, or I've seen them, mostly because uh, for the longest time, um, I worked with podcasts with Blake and Pat in different ways, so I'm just here now. <laughs> We're all learning from each other. Blake, what are you yeah. teaching us? I guess how to be a real bad seed. <laughs> I think that's my specialty. Uh, no, I mean, a lifelong horror fan. Uh, luckily, grew up with it. Had a mother and father who um, often would let me watch whatever I wanted uh, to their chagrin sometimes. Um, <laughs> brother and sister, both love horror. So surrounded by my whole life. Uh, I've done a bit of writing in the horror genre. Um, but overall, I just am a big fan. And uh, I'm just happy to talk with my buddies about it once a week for going on years now and uh, we do have a lot to talk about tonight so um first of all just a spoiler warning because uh we're gonna get pretty in depth with some of these things we talk about. we're gonna talk about the literal ending of one of the movies so yeah. also um i guess it's only fair to go with the trigger warning if you're easily grossed out or you have a weak heart or something to that effect um just you know we're gonna talk about some pretty graphic stuff but then why would you be listening to us if you had any of those fears
I guess if you're gonna talk about horror, uh, the first person you have to talk about is Stephen King. Yeah. 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 Now it is. Well, anyway, used yeah. to be Edgar Allan Poe. Now it's Stephen. King. It, it's changed in the past couple of years. Yeah. You even if you've never even picked up one of his books, you are, you'll still be so familiar with the works of Stephen King. There's so many movies, so many, so many iconic shows. Movies. Yeah. So many television shows. You're right. There is so much with Stephen King's name attached to it. So um, there were so many scenes that we could have picked from, but one of the most iconic goes way back to when none of us were born yet. This is how long Stephen King has been doing this. Salem's Lot, the the vampires. What what makes that scene with the vampire in the window so memorable? Man, it really is memorable. It's eerie. It's uh, it's super eerie. It's very. It, I think it almost portrays the the mood and theme of the film like in one scene kind of perfectly. Um, there's kind of a loss of innocence thing going on with because it's like his buddy and um i don't know it just it always it's and it's like second story window so it's like there's supernatural elements to it they have like backwards fog happening which is always super fun i love yeah. backwards fog i love backwards uh, fog it's so <laughs> it's, it's such so a simple thing that uh some some movies make it a point to like ooh, look at this backward fog but um you it doesn't really point it out it's just happening I think, and it's just, and it's um for those who haven't seen it, it's it's an amazing, it's a mini series of what, which is awesome, <laughs> by Toby Hooper, which is like so so crazy though. It's not the most violent thing you'll ever see, but it's definitely one of the scariest things. Um, the lighting, even just so, it's so dark and gloomy. The eye, the contacts and the eyes, the the eyes are super scary. You know, it's a, they do a really effective job of special effects with very little going on in those special effects. So it's, yeah, it's really stands out. And like I like, uh, mentioned, uh, it, uh, ripped off multiple times since then, you know, uh, very influential scene. Absolutely. Also, you can't overstate how frightening creepy kids are. Yeah. You have one in <laughs> half tapping, half scratching at the windows, saying your name and say, come here. Come here, whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no bueno. So, um, <laughs> Blake, big Stephen King fan. Also, you mentioned that you have a literary back- background. So, where does Stephen King rank among American authors? And you can pick whatever metrics you want to use. Oh, geez. Because, I, oh, I mean, wow. you can go by writing ability, you can go by sales, you can go by sure. name recognition, whatever you want to go. Where would, I guess the real question is should Stephen King be taught in schools? Are you that so. good? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, here's the thing about Stephen King. I think Stephen King's writing influenced virtually everything that has has in the genre specifically. It's influenced. He's influenced everything. His story structure, the way he develops characters, um, some get, like kind of getting away with some shit that you normally wouldn't think you could get away with. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think he's as a literary person. He, he's like you know there's there's very few names that ring true around the world um as a, as an american author um and if you're talking sales he's got to be right up there with daniel Steele. <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. i mean he's got to be easily the most you know sold author in american history i don't see how that's anything but the case and maybe michael Crichton or or uh, dan yeah. brown or something dan brown maybe yeah. yeah stuff like that but man he's he's and he's fun. You know, I think the, one of the reasons his, his books are always so popular is his, they're easy to digest. They don't overcomplicate themselves. This, while the characters are, are, are pretty 
um, varied throughout the novels. There, he does do a good job of making them relatable, even if they're creeps. Yeah, he's he's a great storyteller. You know, that's really all it boils down to. And man, yeah, so he's he's got to be top. Got to be in my book, he's tops, but he's top <laughs> probably. The um, so Danny, you're a little bit younger. You're I got a few years on you. So um, when I was in. I'd say middle school and we still, I don't know if they still do book reports nowadays, but when we had to do book reports, Stephen King was not allowed. Like it was seen as too simple or too vulgar or violent or whatever the case. Really? Yeah. So I was going to ask, is that the same for you? So in the space of, uh, I was going to say just a few years, but in quite a number of years, things changed. But I know Danny that because we did the, we did it together. So Stephen King is not known for, well, he does write short stories, but in a resume that includes long books you read one of the longer ones so what do you think of Stephen King in regards to man it's so weird like I think for me Stephen like we 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 talk about Stephen King as a horror author but for me on the the dark tower side which is the fantasy side of it at all like the cosmic fantasy it's one of the things that always has called me and as being like always drawn to like sci-fi kind of stuff it's one of the bigger callings for me I do think I I don't think I I think it's so weird that like you couldn't like do book reports on him because like when I was in school we did book reports on R.L. Stein and Dracula what's Dracula person yeah so I I feel like I called him Stroker you know I it's so so dumb you know, like he he is very creepy to where a point I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid because it was going to be too scary. And this is it's yeah. a TV show, you know, of, of all things. But seeing that seeing the original it as as intended, it is pretty creepy. And it might like the way that he write he wrote in it. It's so great. It's so mesmerizing, so detailed, so unnerving a lot of the times. And I, it's one of the best books that I've read in a long time. You know, it's funny. I uh, when I was in high, uh, junior high, I guess I was reading it. Uh, it must have been seventh grade, so however old that makes you. And I had a teacher in English class, no less, um, tell me to put that book away because it was trash. <laughs> and I just thought it was funny that a teacher would tell a student to stop reading. In an English class. And it's I had I never had that particular incident, but I had multiple teachers over that I. Gosh, I want to say it was it wasn't until I was in high school that Stephen King was like, okay, I guess we'll let that go. But um before that, he was off, he was on the list of I will not accept a report from this author. Wow. Um there was a point where I when I was much, much younger, when I was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I enjoy the stories, but um, yeah, he's not a good writer. Over the years, I've come to realize, and kind of to Blake's point, and actually to Danny's point, to both of your points, that he's just an amazing storyteller, and whether it's grammatically perfect or i mean he uses some really good metaphors and comparisons actually whether it's you know as great as whoever your favorites may be like Wanaget or shakespeare or whoever the heck you like um yeah he i think he's a great um example for a class like for sure whether it's filmmaking whether it's american literature whatever the case may be like i mean gothic horror even you can throw this guy in there like he's he definitely has earned a place in long time American society. What's your, we've kind of talked about what makes him so popular. So Blake, I'll start with you since you're a huge fan of Stephen King. What's your first memory of Stephen King? Like uh, not of the man, because my first, 
that's a great question <laughs> yeah because that would have been probably uh, maximum overdrive <laughs> yeah it would have to be um uh all the paperbacks that my brother had you know like i think you probably have a similar situation the um i grew up in like my brother and i shared a bedroom um he's eight years older than i am so you know he was a, a teenage kid reading stephen king's books when i was uh, stephen king books when i was a little kid and um I just always remember seeing the name up on the bookshelf and, and I, I remember I would pull the books down and I would, I'd look at their covers and I would read the, you know, the little blips and I don't know how many times like I pulled the, the gunslinger off the, the shelf and like, I just would read that first chapter and like I was young I didn't really understand what I was reading or what it was or anything I just and I just knew the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. And I, <laughs> I, you know, I, that, so it would, it would, it would be only that it would be that I, I, this, this guy writes spooky stuff and my, my brother really likes, like spooky stuff. And he like, I also remember the cover of uh, eyes of the dragon being like, man, Stephen King, it was like a green cover. Oh man. It's, that's oh, like making me really nostalgic. <laughs> you know, what's funny is um, very similar. Like uh, my sister and I shared a room growing up and um my this is kind of sad actually my introduction my first memories of Stephen King are actually Cujo the movie and Firestarter those are my oh wow memories. but my my sister was actually a Clive Barker fan so oh, books of blood lots of like yeah books of lots of that and then from there she got into like VC Andrews so like flowers in the attic oh, kind of wow. yeah. and then uh, it went into Anne Rice so Stephen King like my first memory of an actual Stephen King book it may well have been it wow um, I do remember we got the stand remember when he re he released it for the first time in the hardback with the illustrations in it right. the, yeah yeah we got that um for our christmas present wow and um i mean we still, have, still just, have it oh um, yeah i'm yeah. just an amazing amazing thing That's like so there's cool. a, there's an amazing picture of the trash can man in it but um yeah my first memory of a book is probably it um because before that it was uh clive barker and VC um to what Danny mentioned are all signed like goosebumps was in there like Stephen King she for some reason kind of avoided him and then somewhere along the line she started getting into him and when she was reading I was reading like 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 uh, what's his name Tim Robbins and Kurt Vonnegut or Tom Robbins and Kurt Vonnegut and like Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that so sure I kind of I kind of went in the back door with Stephen King um I know we've talked about this before this guy's never going away right no Stephen King no yeah, he's going to be forever a part oh, of our... Oh, he is forever, yeah. Hello? Hello? Yes? Who is this? Mm, who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. Well, I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. <laughs> Hello? I'm sorry, I guess I dialed the wrong number. So why'd you dial it again? To apologize. You're forgiven. Bye now. Wait, wait, don't hang up. What? I want to talk to you for a second. They've got 900 numbers for that. See ya. a video really what oh just some scary movie you like scary movies uh-huh 
What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Um, no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? What? Hello? Look, I gotta go. Wait, I thought we were gonna go out. Uh, nah, I don't think so. Don't hang up on me. Yes? I told you not to hang up on me. What do you want? To talk. Well, dial someone else, okay? Listen, asshole! No, you listen, you little bitch. If you hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish, understand? <laughs> yeah. Is this some kind of joke? More of a... away from calling the police. They'd never make it in time. We're out in the middle of nowhere. What do you want? To see what your insides look like. So uh, Scream came out in 1996. Is it the most influential movie of the past 25 years? I'm going to say yes. It's also, I think we we discussed this. It's also the nail in the coffin. 
because for the longest time we didn't it was just like this like what is a copy paste type of situation which i just found out today that uh, uh i know what you did last summer was a book which i didn't know but uh really was it an a, offshoot of uh, hilarious the club you know all these like because uh there's a there's gonna be i know what you did last summer tv show on prime and <laughs> yeah, so i, I shared I, I shared it with my sister and she's like hey i remember reading the book as a kid and i'm like what the fuck you nerd and she talked about another. How did she even? I, I this is the first I'm hearing of it ever. Yes. Being a book like, so where my, where did she find this? I think in school. And the thing is, is that like we, me and Blake are in the same school district, so our school district was a little bit like a little bit everywhere. So it, it, she she had to find it through the library in. I think in elementary, maybe maybe middle school. So that puts her, you know, like. She, that's how this is how she found horror like me i was forced to watch horror films like firestarter but this is the way and i i going back to the point of why this is whole like a nail in the coffin is because like ever since scream we have a, a mass killer like from urban legend for like the next five years to like maybe 10 there were just all these rinse and repeat type of movies that followed the formula that scream put on even like a Jane saw and Bob make fun of that in one of their scenes in that movie. So, you know, I do feel like it's influential because everybody started doing it, but then it just, it also like, it kind of ruined the slasher film for a long time. Well, if there's a, I mean, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. Um, this, this, this barely meets the cut of being the most, because this is just two years after Pulp Fiction, which is just an era defining movie. Yeah. Um, and a, a, a genre I mean not genre change it's, it's a cinema changing I mean it just totally changed how they did things in Hollywood uh, Scream it's really funny um, that movie is so influential I think that uh, to this day we're seeing movies that copy that formula um, on Netflix for their Netflix and chill uh, lineup they have a movie called uh, There's Someone Inside Your House which I believe is based on a book but it's it's scream basically it's an attempt at scream in a modern setting and in right. the 21st century and uh, it has screams fingerprints all over which is crazy because that was so long ago yeah yeah man it's it's interesting um i i look back on it now and i'm like i remember it being a big deal because it was Wes craven right it was like yeah. oh Wes craven's back and he's doing a new horror property and and like to i think i think nobody expected it to be that good you know, but it's got so much personality and, and it was it's, appealing to a vast audience. You know? Oh yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree with it being the final nail in the coffin for slashers, but at this, because the slashers, you know, just, they peaked in the eighties. They were, you know, everyone loved them. Um, but there were movies that poked fun at them. Um, we've talked about Slumber Party Massacre in the past. That was right. a parody of slashers, but nothing, and, and this is like, you know, almost a decade after, but nothing quite deconstructed that subgenre as well as screamed it and kind of it was an homage but at the same time it really pointed out how silly slashers were mm-hmm. I, I mean i guess the question would be like what slashers after being so popular for so long what caused their downfall well i think mm. it went from being like well because like it's almost exactly what you just said it's scream did scream took horror tropes and slasher tropes made fun of them also while expertly executing those tropes in a great movie so it made fun of itself while it was doing something really well 
So that's like a really strange thing to have happened. And so I think a lot of writers, horror writers and, you know, screenwriters and stuff went to go like, oh, that's what you got to do. It's got to be kind of goofy and fun and, and, and also really brutal. And it, nobody could ever really, I mean, that you, you can only pull that off once, really. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, the imitation factor got a bit much. Um, I kind of did love that for a long period of time. It was like, ooh, there's going to be a new, there's going to be a new slasher thing coming out. Um, which really, I mean, it boils all the way back down to like what came out like later, like Saw and stuff. You know, people wanted these movies that were that were coming out frequently. Mm-hmm. They wanted new series of horror, you know, franchises. And so, it, well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the it, it birthed a lot of crap, but it also set up a, a, some some uh, groundwork for some really great stuff too. Yeah, and for some long running franchises. Um, mm-hmm. And um, what Scream basically did to the slasher genre was like grab it by the face and rip its face off and say like, oh, you won't be needing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I own you. <laughs> nice head. I think I'll take it. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're still talking about this that it's getting its fifth iteration what or yeah like yeah, next, next year, year right yeah and it has a tv show as well so yeah i mean it's it's very very and it, what it did was i mean i mean the fact that in 2021 we're talking about it unironically in a loving way and and again i mean it's not just one movie like you said there's a fifth one coming out this is one of those cases where the sequel you can argue is better than the original i mean and the first time I saw that scene, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, the, do you want to play a game? And Drew Barrymore, amazing in that scene. And really, what people don't often say, I and mean, kudos to Drew Barrymore, who in 1996 was like the it girl. And she's in this movie for 10 or 15 minutes yeah. before she bites it. Yeah, I love that. I love that they, that they, and then it was like a big joke on the audience, right? Like they, mm-hmm. all the marketing. Drew Barrymore is front and center, you know, and it's like, wow, Drew Barrymore's in there. Like what a cool thing. And then to have a huge name star like that. Yeah. Bite it in the first 10 minutes of flick. I thought was just so awesome. So clever. So creative, so brave on so many parts and very, very memorable. And I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. And I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. Because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we weren't lost. I insisted that we keep going. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry and cold and hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I'm so sorry. What is that? 
close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. The Blair Witch Project. Is this ending the best found footage ending ever? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has to be, right? Yeah. What what compares to it? I mean, aside from the original record, because they didn't ruin it on their marketing. Oh. Right. I mean, what's what's a wreck, I guess I should say. Um, I mean, is there anything that's more that gut punches you? Ooh, as found footage goes. As man. found footage goes, yeah, that's uh, ooh, I don't know. Like, what the the guy gets eaten by bears at the end of his documentary, right? <laughs> oh, the grizzly man. Yeah, but that's off in the distance, and you got to kind of like guess that that's happening. Like, if 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 I didn't know that that if someone had told me ahead of time, like, oh, this is the one where the dude gets eaten by grizzly, I wouldn't have known what the hell was. Going yeah, on. good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's going on. Actually, I don't know what's going on in Blair Witch, and that's what right. makes it so amazing. Yeah, no, it, it they, and the way they set that whole thing up, you know, they and if we talked about this, the uh, the uh, the viral marketing that they did for this, if you had paid any attention to that on Sci-Fi Channel and all any of this stuff, they give you the full backstory lore way more in depth than the movie gives you as mm-hmm. to what's happening in that scene. And so if you'd watched any of that stuff, like I did, like leading up to like in the weeks leading up to the movie's release, that, that ending was even, and you end up looking at your friend and going like, and they're going like, wait, this isn't, this isn't real though. Right. It's one of those where you're like, um, there's no way that's, please tell me that's not real. You know, what's really sad about uh, the Blair Witch Project. We will never see anything like that again, because that was at the infancy of the internet and they took (laughs) full advantage of it. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, so I think, and it took super like they they took us by by surprise. Even so, like my mom wanted to watch this movie without knowing what was going to happen. Uh, but I do feel like with the edge of the internet, we have the Biller Witch, right? It's the complete opposite where they're like, all right, we've been talking about this movie for a while and here, surprise, it's actually Blair Witch. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like we already knew that this was going to happen. But then they show this movie and it's, so when did this movie come out pat like five years ago so can we talk about it <laughs> well we this... don't want to ruin it, but it, we can't say without uh, in the blair witch project they leave you clueless i mean you know that they're <laughs> hunting a witch you know something's up and uh they say that uh, the legends are that you know people are just standing in a corner staring at nothing and that's how the movie is someone standing in a corner this movie they actually kind of show you what's going on instead of letting you keeping you in the dark literally <laughs> Yeah, and this is one that they definitely should have made a sequel for. Um, not the not Book of Shadows because they didn't go found footage because <laughs> they knew better. But yeah. to actually do another found footage Blair Witch was just pointless. Um, what was your all introduction to found footage? Was, do we call are we calling Cannibal Ferox or Pharaoh or whatever that's called? Uh, is that yeah, Cannibal Holocaust is definitely Cannibal, Ho- Cannibal yeah. Holocaust. That too. Yeah, I would say probably that. And then like those really terrible um, uh, faces of death. <laughs> <laughs> also um i don't know if it came out beforehand but alien autopsy um I guess, oh i, I don't know right. if that counts but it was on fox and sure, that was that supposed was, to be yeah real. that was supposed to be fun, right? <laughs> shitty as it looked that was supposed to be real yeah and isn't there, there's like a bigfoot one from back in the day right um uh anyway i mean it's really to me though i mean the you know the only one that ever stuck was blair witch 
So do you think that uh, it's such a polarizing subgenre and it's gotten popular enough to where they can bring it to the big screen, like with, um, well, it's always been, but like Cloverfield, I mean, that's a major motion picture going the found footage route. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, found footage will ever go away? I mean, it's it's so weird that so many people hate it and the people, oh, <laughs> the people who like it, it's niche. You know, it's it's strange. It's evolved. That's It's one of the nice things about found footage films is as technology progresses and and things change um that genre seems to be more malleable than others um because what we're getting for found footage now are these like webcam kind of movies um, yeah which uh, uh unfriended and uh, what was that other one host uh host, or, yeah host yeah so i mean it, it's interesting I, I don't think it's going away i don't think it's as pervasive or it will be like it used to be but um, you know we're 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 about to get one that's totally shot on iPhones. Like if they're out, that's probably already been done. You know, but like I, I can see it. I can see it st- sticking around. Um, I don't think we're gonna get quite the glut of it that we did from like you know 1999 to 2010. Let's say with like paranormal activity and all those other things that you mentioned. The um and, and you bring up a really really good point. As long as technology evolves, then found footage will evolve with it and stick around. Um, like pornography. Yeah. exactly like pornography um with found footage before you had to like make excuses for why do they have the camera why don't they turn off the camera now people the second anything crazy happens they f- bring out the camera they start recording mm-hmm. so you you've eliminated the biggest dis- excuse for it um i think and i didn't realize this until recently that found footage has it's found its way into movies um just normal uh, quote-unquote normal movies it finds its way into them more regularly than, than i ever noticed like a lot of times movies will all of a sudden switch to like um point of view angle basically mm-hmm. where it'll look like a video game for a while or you're running through like when the person's wearing up the mask kind of like in halloween did way back when mm-hmm. um i just saw one recently called the medium where it starts off like you're following a documentary crew but it seems like the movie it's not like spinal tap where the 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 documentary is the movie it's right. like the movie is about a documentary team following this person and it kind of eases its way into a straight up shaky cam found footage it's oh yeah it's really cool. strangely done and i didn't even realize what it was until it, it was a pretty long movie it was like around two hours <laughs> but i didn't even realize so about an hour in when well when it changed over basically i was like oh wait this is a found footage i think Oh, um, I think they're going to do some really cool things with it. And I, I think there's examples that I can't even think of right now in just regular shows where I think you can argue something like The Office is even kind of a found footage type thing. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, not only, yeah, totally. The, uh, all the mockumentary stuff that we got after that, like, uh, you know. The was, Cinema Verite or whatever. Yeah. And like, uh, was it a best in show and all that kind of stuff? Like, that, that's all that all played off that that literally they they look like oh shit you can kind of do this let's do it when in all sorts of different ways yeah absolutely yeah it ain't ever going away so if you hate it too bad
Är du vampyr? Hade du tyckt om mig ändå? Vill du bli ihop med mig? Fear is a universal language. Um, is J-horror the most popular form of foreign horror? It was at one point, but then with like Korean horror coming into play, I think it's now everybody's looking into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it's hard to argue with J-horror because it became so um, ingrained into just the, the horror genre in general. If, if you, for a good period of time, it felt like anybody who was a horror fan had seen all that stuff, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you can't say that for um, even all the, the French horror, you know, revolution that happened. You know, the, the French horror stuff became a little bit extremist where um, I think the J-horror like really was playing on being like classically done horror and suspense. And um, there's a lot to be said for um, doing those things and executing them well. And so, yeah, it's probably, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be the one people recognize the most. Yeah. Cause you have everything from the ring to the grudge to, I'm sure there's a million things that I don't remember oh, yeah. that were, there was that period kind of the same around found footage time where, as they were releasing found footage um, in one theater and another theater would be a remake for some uh, Japanese horror film. Um, You kind of touched on it, Blake. So why is it that Japanese horror is so popular in the States? I think they do a great job of conveying dark imagery and um, building suspense. Um, I think one of the greatest things about the, the grudge and the ring and all those movies is how they kind of they kind of set you up um their storytelling is great like they set you up with a really intense suspenseful thing and then they can then they build off of that they they, they don't they really slow down they kind of just build on top of themselves the entire way and then you kind of get these wacky crescendos at the end which um are either you know like oh my god can you believe that or like whoa they, they had a lot of wow factor to their endings too which you know makes them memorable and if a movie's memorable you talk about it uh, this is true. What, what about you, Danny? What do you think? Why was J-horror so, and why is it so popular? One of the things that I really do think, it's the culture. Uh, how they really play into the culture. I don't know that many American films that play, that played with any kind of culture. Deliverance. I mean, the, I, well, yeah, I get, yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, that is scary. <laughs> that is scary. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, th- there's not... I know we're talking about like American or we are such a like mixed bag of every sh- of everything out there. But mixed bag of shit. I love it. Mixed bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we like they lean into like their spiritual. They they lean into like all this just crazy shit that sometimes Americans don't believe in. And I feel like when when it, when you work with that kind of your culture, it like it just it it works a lot better. Um, I was gonna say it's really interesting because I, I try to think of like why J-horror translates so well over here because there are some pretty stark cultural differences between uh, this country and Japan but then there are 
the similarities are so odd. Like, I mean, going back to found footage, there's no other country. I think, I know Japan for a fact, and I think maybe Korea kind of are the only two other countries that found footage actually became a big thing. There's no other country in Asia that gave a shit about found horror. There's no Chinese found footage movies. And like Hong Kong action films were a huge thing. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, there, there's some, I think Danny's right in regards to culture. I mean, because I mean, there's a huge difference between the cultures, but for there's some kind of tie between the two because there's a lot of commonalities between the between uh, the east and the west. That I, I mean, I honestly don't understand, but they sh- it sure does translate over well. What do you think is uh, so J horror and just kind of uh, East Asian horror in general is pretty popular over here. Why is it that other countries don't have that same? popularity i mean like we live on the border why is it that mexican horror movies don't i mean we don't see that popularity uh, yeah okay so i oh, i do i uh, yeah you're right I, I i would say like because i remember seeing mexican horror films but they're not as strict i, I don't know if that even makes sense as strict as j-horror or like even like what we're getting now j-horror did put in like some rules to how you should make a horror horror film at the time like the horror films that i've seen like from mexican culture they're campy they're not as you know they're i think the best way i could put it they're equivalent to a a c-level hammer film interesting and hammer (laughs) when you get to a level hammer (laughs) (laughs) hammer starts at about a b minus yeah (laughs) or like a double d well, actually, <laughs> yeah, sea level hammer. You're right. That is not good. <laughs> hammer is never a sea. Um, what about you, Blake? What is it that why aren't there more countries? I guess that are represent. I mean, Shutter has really, really yeah. tried. They put some really good ones on there, and occasionally something will catch on. But we just oh, there like we haven't seen anything like the J horror craze. Yeah, that's a it, it, again. You're knocking it out of the park today, Pat. Great questions. The uh, <laughs> the. Uh, I you don't know because like when I think about like Mexican horror movies in particular, just from I guess this is more recency bias thing going on, but they they're pretty extreme. They're dark and like they 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 tend to have like a, a sexual flair to them usually. That's like creepy, like either incest or or fucking aliens in the woods, <laughs> you know that <laughs> that kind of shit. Uh, to where the J horror kind of grounded itself in like classic ghost stories, and you know. And it's really, it's really hard not to get on board with a great ghost story uh, to where, you know, some of the other, even like Baskin, you know, pretty extremely violent and and gratuitous and gory, that kind of stuff. You know, it's, I don't think it's going to have the, the, the bite into, into pop culture quite like, you know, just good old fashioned classic stuff that you can, you can relate to on a, on a, like a, oh, that's kind of like that old ghost story that I, you know, heard a long time ago. You bring up a really good point, and if and if you want to take it back even further, I mean, it's kind of a stretch, but back in the fifties, like creature features were really popular. Uh, a little bit after that, you had Godzilla was really popular on this side. So, right. I mean, there kind of always has been that acceptance of crazy Japanese movies. What country do you think is underrated? Like, and Blake, you've mentioned it a few times. Like, I guess if you're gonna talk film, and if you're gonna talk about all these awesome films that you know you have to talk about france right you have to talk about the french new wave and fellini's eight and a half or whatever and you have to talk about but um the french the new um horror extreme there was it produced some pretty crazy shit um you you mentioned uh, or i don't think we said uh, we showed the trailer for high tension 
um, right. martyrs I think everyone's familiar with inside frontiers. I mean, and what you said about them, you're absolutely right. Like they are so over the top and so ugly. I mean, Irreversible is one of the most disgusting movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. um, you're not going to find a mainstream audience for that kind of stuff. There, there's just, I don't know. There's something to be said to, of just good storytelling. I, mean, I guess I'm going to go say that a lot here, but you know, I think Mexico, it's a lot of Mexican cinema that we've seen over the, not all horror movies that I've seen from Mexico, but I've seen a wide variety and I've, I actually think Mexican filmmakers are underrated. You know, I, I think there's a lot of neat stuff um, or, or just people from Mexican descent um, doing stuff that plays into that cultural tie and, and does it in a really cool way. And mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's, I would say there's a, there's a lot of good stuff coming from South of the border. Well, you talked about the creep factor um, and it's very understated. I think um, I don't know the Spanish title, but Danny can correct me. Uh, we are what we are. Oh. Is, an amazing horror movie that's it's it's a slow burn so um if you don't like a24 then you're not gonna like this movie but but it's such a good and it'll it is strike five they are oh for five which i believe is the sombrero the golden sombrero (laughs) Uh, um i think uh underrated and i i can't speak for a whole country but of all the movies we've seen uh, oh, maybe maybe in the Middle East because uh, you mentioned Baskin, which I think is Turkish. But um, that Under the Shadow, we saw that. Under, Under the Shadow is one of the. I, I think I don't think this movie gets talked about enough, and we saw this together, Pat. And yeah, all three of us did, yeah. Yeah, we yeah all three of us, uh, and it's just like I've never seen. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I. <laughs> well, has... <laughs> I mean, if, without giving too much away, I explain the title. They are literally a family well it's a mother and i think her two kids they're literally under the shadow of a bomb that's uh like going through the roof of their house because um military stuff that's going on in um iran i believe it's in it's in it's during i thought it was iraq it may well be iraq but it's i know it's during the it's during the the cold war cold war i know that um but um there's a lot of horror that's underrated out there just because I think that we're so used to, oh, there's this new Japanese horror movie going back to whether it's Godzilla or Versus or Rings or whatever the case may be. Like, I think we immediately, we've kind of been taught to turn our eyes to that part of the world to see the latest, coolest, neatest horror movie. Kind of bringing it all back around to American horror movies. Um, They've always kind of stuck with like kind of Eurocentric and obviously American history or urban legends or folklore whatever the case may be um you know what i would really like to see and we just saw it in Candyman. um i would like to see more like african caribbean lore and culture and like dark magic in horror because i like i like you know tales of witches and you know hooks stuck on door handles and all that but it'd be nice to see something a little different completely agree yeah, yeah. no i think that's a uh, an untapped vein for sure the uh anything like uh, you know there's like uh, i used to have like a, a book that was like um african folklore and man there are some really just i mean it's unconventional you know as far as like you know it, it really playing on the base of like man you can tell that like africa is just like a tough continent you know you got to be a, like kind of a tough person to live there and their their folklore it, it illustrates that Every weekend you can find us here, as we mentioned, uh, we're a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. 
There's a whole bunch of horror theme podcasts on there. Um, we have an open review policy. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about, uh, any ideas you have for theme months, let us know. And while you're doing that, you could also follow the show over on Twitter at Adventures in Movies. You could also find Nathaniel on Instagram at Nathan Portaste. You can also find me, Danny, on Twitter and Instagram at default underscore player. And you can find the swinging utter Blake on Twitter <laughs> at Four Eyed Horror. <laughs> The swinging gutter, dude. I like that one. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, yes, and uh, next week, uh, more fests. We're very festive <laughs> this, <laughs> this October. Uh, hellacious delights in store, and uh, yes, tune in for that. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Spotify, you can go to Amazon Music, you can go to Stitcher. We're in all of these places, along with being on Morbidly Beautiful. Wherever you listen to us, make sure to give us a rating or just tell a friend to listen. And that's our cue. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for coming out, guys. Adios, Sun City Fright Fest. <laughs>